join with the angels at oration. We bow, casting down our golden crowns, and we call to the Father God Almighty, and we cry, Holy, Holy, Holy.
Spirit of death, you have no place here. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear, you have no place here. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. You're I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Envy and jealousy, you have no place here. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Go back from whence you came.
You reign, Lord. Amen. It's good to praise the Lord and to declare that he is faithful, that he is just, that he endures forever, and to be able to stand on that with confidence. Amen? Amen. Amen. You be seated. Two verses come to mind. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Submit to God. You hear something. Well, you need to just resist the devil. You can't resist the devil until you've first submitted to God. Amen. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The second one is, little children, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I mentioned this morning about this email thing I've had going back and forth with this particular person. And uh, it, it didn't take me long to figure out that I was dealing with something that was demonic. And uh, so I, uh, I just rebuked it in the email, just started quoting scripture. And then the person got really angry with me and said, you're just making my life worse. And then after about the fourth one back and forth, this is what she said. She said, those in me know who you are. Now, folks, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't be ignorant of them. Because if you're trying to stand your ground for Jesus, the enemy hates you. And you're a target. I mean, you just are. And uh, if you don't want to be a target, run, and then he'll just get you in the back. But stand your ground, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the reason that we lack power in the church today is because we've somehow bought the lie that the enemy is more powerful than we are and that that we are not as great a threat to him as he is to us. But we need to be the kind of people that are a threat to the enemy's kingdom because he's just trying to roll over everything. You know why? Because he knows there's going to come a day when he can't. Because he's read the last two pages and he knows that he's not there in the end. And he already knows who's won and so he's trying to gain all that he can right now. And so we must not live in fear. So I want us to pray if we could. And uh, I just want to ask you to pray that you will be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that you will not have fear or anxiety when the enemy comes at you, but you'll remember who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. So let's pray together if we could. And I want to ask you just for yourself, just to say, Lord, the ground that I am on is yours and my life is yours and the power is yours and the ability to overcome is yours father in the name of jesus we know that satan is angry at anything that lifts up holiness righteousness purity and anyone that buys into that agrees with it stands in it longs for it there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a turmoil. There's going to be a war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name and on the blood of Jesus and on the authority of your word 
to give us boldness in our faith, fearlessness in our witness, a conqueror's attitude as we face the culture this week, knowing that we do not have to be wimps and walk back and fall back and cower down because the one in us is greater than he that is in the world. Lord, we don't go at this haphazardly or blindly. We understand that this is a war in the heavenlies. And we understand that the battle has already been won. The victory has already been given. That you have already overcome everything we have to fear, death and hell and the grave. And so make us bold soldiers for the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, may our testimony in our lives ring true. Our God reigns here. My God reigns in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, find a couple of people and say, I'm glad that I don't have to worry about the devil. He's got to worry about me. <laughs>
God's people sing. Amen. Amen. You be seated. May the Lord continue to bless this church. And may we be a faithful people. As the men come to take the offering, may this be a people that brings the whole tithe into the storehouse. That the Lord would be pleased. Our attitude toward giving will reflect where our heart is. And so as we honor the Lord and worship him through giving. May that reflect a faithful people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you once again for a time of worship. We are free to worship you. We are free to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, a name of power, a name of saving grace, a name of comfort, a name of justice. Lord, thank you for what you have entrusted to us. May we be faithful stewards of all that you have given to us. And may we worship you and honor you with the whole tithe. Bless those that are returning that to you, Lord. We want to be a faithful people. Stir our hearts that we would hear what you have to say to us tonight. Speak to us through Michael. And Lord, do a fresh work. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Well, just uh, something I want to share with you before we look into the path of holiness. And uh, Ron Dunn used to always say that good and evil run on parallel tracks and they normally arrive about the same time. And uh, he, he would say to me when he'd leave on Wednesday nights of the Bible conference, he'd say, uh, Michael, he said, trust Jesus and watch out for trucks. All right, uh, Psalm 1. I, have a, I used to have a Garmin. Now I have a Tom Tom. <laughs> Somebody thinks I got one of those little drums like my parents gave me when I was little. Now I have a Tom Tom. My, my Tom Tom is not as smart as my Garmin. And, uh, <laughs> uh, my Tom Tom. I'll be driving down a road and it'll say unpaved road. I'm going, I'm on the interstate. <laughs> what is the problem here? And, and I'll know the way I need to go, but I just, you know, I just kind of want to just think. And so, I, you know, especially when you're going through Atlanta, you know, you got to bear right in 2.5 miles, you know, get in the right lane and stay right or get in the left lane and stay left. So I turn it on sometimes when I don't need it. But when it, it sometimes I, I have it programmed in for the fastest route. I want to get there the quickest, you know. I, I drive by historical markers like, look, historical marker, <laughs> you know, because I'm trying to beat my last time. Uh, and, you know, my parents, you stop, look, a, a picnic table, let's have one, you know, and so we'd, it'd take us, you know, all vacation just to get to where we were going, but uh, that's the difference in generations, but, uh, you know, I want to get there as fast as I can, but if it doesn't take me the way I want to go, I just push that little thing at the bottom, it says, find alternative, and it'll configuring 285,000 roads from six different satellites, alternative, see details. And I got to thinking about my TomTom -tom or my Garmin or whatever I throw out the car the next time. Uh, I got to thinking about that. Some of us, sometimes we have a tendency to treat God's word that way. God says, here's the way to get there. And, and we push the button and say, let's, let's find an alternate route. Let's see if we can get there a different way. Let, let's see if we can go on another road. Let's, let's see if we can do it without doing it the way God said that we're supposed to do it. And so I want to give you five things here at the first. And there, it's a little long to write these down, but I wasn't good at English, so I don't know how to make short sentences. Uh, I'm like the Apostle Paul. He didn't have commas or periods. He just kept talking. And so I thought, well, work for him. Maybe it'll work for me. Let me give you five reasons why we should want to be holy. In other words, why we should want to stay on the path that God has given us. Number one, if you don't want it, no one around you will want it, including your children or your peers. If you don't want it, no one around you will want it. You see, most often we are inspired to be holy by being around people who are. And, and, and if we're not the kind of person that inspires that in someone else, if we don't want it enough, then we won't inspire them to want it. In fact, things will just degenerate over time. Secondly, you'll never know God, and I put no in quotation marks there. You'll never know God, not know him intimately like you want to know him and need to know him. You'll never know him if you aren't holy. 
Because who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. You know, without an understanding of holiness, we get to a certain level of understanding of our walk with God, but we will hit a lid. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Number three, this is a long one. It is only when the church acts like the church in a world that is acting like the world that the world will see something in us that is different. It is only when the church acts like the church in a world that is acting like the world that the world will see something in us that is different. In other other words, if there's not a distinctiveness in the body of Christ, why should the world want what we say we have? We have to be in the world and not of it. We, we are a part of it, but we don't buy into it all. So it's only when the church acts like the church in the world that is acting like the world that the world sees something in us that is different. Uh, number four, only a holy people or a holy church can awaken people to the fear of God. It is in an emphasis on the holiness of God that great revivals have been birthed. And only a holy people and a holy church can awaken people to the fear of God because revival draws the net. It draws people in. It burns away the dross. Uh, it, It takes away the things that are superficial that we have allowed to get attached to our lives that are not really that important. And then number five, holiness is a life that is abundantly possible. It's not just possible for people who live in monasteries It's not just possible for mystics. It is possible for us to be holy in a very unholy world, which is exactly what Jesus was. He was holy in an unholy world. He was sinless in a world full of sin. And he has given us his Holy Spirit. So think about it. We have a holy Bible, a holy spirit, and the Holy Father to make us a holy people. Everything about what God has done for us has been in the realm of making us more like Jesus. So Psalm 1-1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2 is the key verse. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Now verse 2 it is a contrast verse. Here's verse 1, the negatives. These are the people that are not walking in a holy life. But there's another kind of person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And then there's this tree that springs forth out of that kind of life. But we're really just going to kind of stick on uh, verse 2 tonight. Let's look at the path that has a map. The path has a map. The Bible not only is a tool that God uses to sanctify us, but it is a tool that God uses to satisfy us. Uh, We we got doctors uh, in in the church, and and I go to them, and and they'll say, now, you need to do this. Now, sometimes I do it, and sometimes I don't. Then the next time I go see them, they say, you hadn't been doing that, have you? Well, how can they tell? Examination. They examine, they evaluate, and they can know if I'm doing what they tell me to do. If they give me a prescription, they don't give me a prescription to say, well, if you want to take it, 
you can take it. If you don't, it won't matter. Now, they give you medicine for a reason. Now, why is it in this world? If, if you go to a doctor and they say, this is the problem and this is what you need to do to fix it, we go, okay. And even you get a second opinion and that doctor said, this is a problem and what your first doctor said you need to do, you, you need to fix it. Okay, all right, that's what we'll do then. And then you go to the pharmacist. He says, no, you're supposed to take this. Don't take it on an empty stomach because it'll make you sick. You need to take this on a full stomach or right after a meal. Okay. Why is it that we get that with a doctor and then when a preacher or a Sunday school teacher gives us the word of God, we say, you know, I'd like a third or fourth or a fifth opinion. You know, we want everybody to be dogmatic about the way that we need to travel except the people that try to teach us how to travel the, the path of righteousness. And, and it is a problem within the church in America today because there, there are just so many opinions and so many ideas and so many thoughts and, that are out there that it, it, it is hard to get people to say, this is the way, walk in it. Here's what God says, walk this way. And what God is trying to do is to help us understand that there's a path. And on this path, there are two markers that you can't miss. First of all, the Word sanctifies. The Word keeps our hearts in check. It is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses, reminding us of the Word that we have read and we have studied. He brings that Word to mind to us and uses it in that sanctification process with us. Secondly, it is the word that satisfies. It is the word that satisfies because God keeps our heart filled through the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. And God partners those two together to give us a satisfaction in life that we cannot have otherwise. Uh, I don't do much hiking. You can probably look at me and tell I don't do much hiking. But... Uh, I can tell you this, last year when we went to Israel and uh, uh, Mike Harrison and Jim and Renee Jewell and Aaron and I climbed Masada, don't do this if you're weak of heart. Don't start out at 1,500 feet below sea level and get above sea level. And especially when the guy at the bottom says, you should be able to do this in just about an hour. Well, I haven't walked around my block in three years. All right? Masada. Bring it on. And I mean, I'm sitting there, you know, and I am huffing and puffing. My face is so red. I am sweating. I'm dying. And, and I'm thinking, and, and then Jim Jewell, so full of encouragement. We, we make this turn, and he says, hey, I think we're almost there. And so I start walking faster, man. I'm moving. Hey, I'm going to be the first one to the top. Uh, I've been dragging behind. They've been waiting on me. You know, turn a corner, pick up the pastor. Turn a corner, pick up the pastor. They, I mean, they've been, they've been trying to get me along on this whole thing. And Jim says, hey, I think we're almost there. And we turn and look, and we're not even close. <laughs> and the air is getting harder to breathe, and my lungs are hurting and I'm already through with that biggest bottle of water that I could find. And at one point I thought, just throw me over the edge. <laughs> now I wanna tell you, the snake path, that's what it's called. The snake path in some places is about this wide. And all you've got from you 
to planet Earth is rocks. There are no limbs to grab onto. There's nothing. I mean, it's just bump, bruise, die. I mean, that's all it is. And you just, you're just going up the side of this flat top mountain and you're just winding around. And, and you've got to watch where you're going. And by the way, I'm scared of heights. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, Alex came to me one day and said, hey, you want to get up on the catwalk? Not really. You know, it's sturdy up there. I mean, we've had people up there on the catwalk. I mean, it's welded in. Good. I'm glad. God bless you. But if you get off of the path, you're dead or seriously injured. And every now and then there'll be some steps and it'll kind of level it out. But you're on all these rocks and you're, you're going down this path. And there, and there, there are really no markers <laughs> except you're not there yet. And then when you get there, you've got this last ramp of steps that go up almost at this angle before you just kind of pop up on the top of the mountain. But I knew one thing. I didn't know when the path was going to end, and I didn't know how many more turns there would be, and I didn't know if it was going to be slippery or not, but I knew if I stayed focused on the path, if the Lord let me live, I would get to the top. Now, I've been there and done that. I have a T-shirt that says, I climb Masada. I should have worn it tonight. But you've got to stay on the path. You have to stay on the path or else you're in danger. You can get lost. Hikers get lost in the Smoky Mountains all the time because they go on one of these trails on a trail map through the mountains, and all of a sudden they say, hey, let's just go off to the side, and then they get in there. They can't tell north, south, east, or west, and they don't know where they are, and the rangers have to go in and find them, or Yogi Bear has them for supper. <laughs> you see, the path has a map. Now, now, here's what's important for us to understand about this path. Everything in nature grows from the inside out. Everything about life grows from the inside out. A baby grows from the inside out. A tree grows from the inside. Everything in nature grows from the inside out. And that's the way God works. And so what's on the inside of us? Let me give you three things. And these three have to be in cooperation if we're going to stay on the path that God has given us. First of all, the mind. The mind. What's on the inside is the mind. That's where we learn. That's where we learn. That's where we get our attention focused. Not only do we have the mind, but we have the heart. The heart is where we love, and that has to do with our affection. So we have the mind where we learn. That gets our attention. God's getting our attention about what path we're supposed to be on. The heart where we love, that's our affection where your heart is. That's where you're going to be. And then there's the will where we live, and that's our actions. So you got the mind, the heart, and the will. It's not enough for us to have the Bible in our head. We have to also have it in our heart. And it's not enough for us to have a great heart for God and love God, and, and we get... Uh, all stirred up inside when we're worshiping and, and, and just sense God around us when our mind is not engaged. And so the mind and the heart and the will 
have to work together. The, the Bible doesn't say thy word I have hid in my mind that I might impress my friends. It says thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The balanced Christian life is when the mind and the heart and the will are working in harmony with one another. My will is not trying to go in a different direction than my mind, and my mind is not trying to go in a different direction than my heart, and my heart is not mis misleading me or deceiving me, but they're all in tune, they're in harmony, they're beating as one. Let's look at the map as a guide. The map as a guide. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And what the Word is to the inner man, food is to the outer man. So. Uh, let, let's look at how God has given us, and I think these are going to come up on the screen. God has given us three defining statements about the truth. All right, these three statements summarize the truth and how we need to think about what truth is. John chapter 17, verse 17. Thy word is truth. God's word is not an opinion, God's word's not just a thought. God's word is truth, which means there's no mixture of error in it. It is without hypocrisy. It is not diluted. God's word is truth. Secondly, John 14, 6, Jesus is the person of truth. So the word is truth. Jesus is the truth made flesh. He's the word of truth. John 14, 6 is also John 1 and verse 1. And then 1 John 5, 7, there's the spirit of truth. There's the spirit of truth. So you've got the word of truth, the person of truth, and the spirit of truth. All of those working in harmony as, as we are being guided along in our lives. Now, save those little three points right there, and let me give you something to write beside them. In my mind, I am to love the word. I'm to love the Word. So I want to build into my mind a love for the Word of God. That it's not just what we did this morning, you know, with the shallow Christian. It's not just carrying the Bible. It is loving the Word of God. In my heart, I want to love the Word of God made flesh. I want to love the Word of God made flesh. So in my mind, I want to love the Word. I want to, don't want to just read the Word and study the Word and check the box and learn a bunch of doctrines and a bunch of truths, but I want to love it. I want to have a love for the Word of God. In my heart, I want to love the person, Jesus, the Word made flesh. So it's an intimate, personal love for God's Word and for God's Son. And then in my will, I want to love to do His will so that He can be glorified in me. So I'm seeing the Lord, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm sensing the Lord, and in that I am walking with God in an incredible new way. 
Now, here's what happens. If my mind loves the Word, if my heart loves the Word made flesh, if my will is to do His will and glorify Him, then in a worship service or in my quiet time or in a Sunday school class, when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to me and says, you know, that's wrong, you need to stop doing that, or you need to adjust this, or you need to ask this person to forgive you, or you need to get that right, or you need to correct this, then I don't argue with God about what He's saying to me. Because I'm already geared to love what he's saying to me. So I have chosen to love what God says, and in loving what God says, I love to do what he says I am supposed to do. Does that make sense? We good? Can I, can I keep going? Okay. Now, if that is true, then a love for the word never produces pride in me. A love for the Word produces humility in me because I realize that every time I look at the Word of God, which is a holy scripture given to me without error, and the Holy Spirit inside of me teaches me out of the holy scripture about how to be more and more and more like Jesus who was holy so that I can live a life where it's just said that I am to be holy as he is holy, then I'm not arguing with God about that. I'm not debating with him. I'm not trying to negotiate it. I'm saying, you know what? That just makes so much sense that that's what God wants me to do. And so I'm not fighting against the Lord. I'm yielding to him in, in what I'm doing. Even when he takes me on paths that I do not understand at the moment, I, I'm still yielded to him. My, one of my favorite illustrations uh, of Ken Jenkins is, is uh, and I think he did it, I don't think he's done it here. I think he did it only at Refresh in the Smokies. One of my favorite illustrations is him uh, up in the Rocky Mountains, and he's on this horse on a trail. Did he do it here, or did he do it? He did it here? Okay, well, y'all, most of you have forgotten it, so I'm going to give it to you anyway. Anyway, he's on this horse and he's on a trail. It's a 300-foot drop-off, and the trail is less than the width of the horse. And, you know, he said, I've got, I've got a choice. <laughs> you know, it's going to be this way or it's going to be this way. This way is a, is a solid wall. This way is straight down. So he makes it through. But then he talks about this group of ladies in this equestrian club that, where, you know, they were dainty horseback riders. And so they go out, and they're about two days out on this trail with this old rancher that's got the handlebar mustache, the same cowboy hat he's been wearing for about 45 years. And, and, and they're going out on this trail, and he takes him, and they start up this trail, and these ladies stop. No, 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 no. We, we don't want to go on that path. This is the way we got to go. Let's go. No, we, we don't. We, we, we'll go around. No, no, can't go around. This is the only way. Well, we want to go back. Not going to go back. We're going straight ahead. We're going across this path. But the path is only this wide. It, it's just this wide. The, the horse, you know, we, we don't go. And, and finally, the old cowboy just kind of curls up his handlebar mustache and he turns around in his saddle and he says, Ladies, let go of your reins and trust your horse. You see, the horse knew what to do in that situation. Those ladies didn't. 
Have you ever been in a situation when you didn't know what to do? Then take your hands off the reins and quit trying to steer and guide the Lord to do what you want him to do. And trust him. He's not going to lead you on a path to destroy you. He's going to lead you on a path to get you to the other side. And sometimes there are some treacherous moments in our lives when we have to trust God. But we have to learn to let go of the reins and trust a horse. I loved it. The first time he shared that story was, was at Refreshing the Smokies. And, and Bill Stafford sitting on the front row. He's just crying like a baby. I mean, he just cried. And he, he got through, and, and Bill turned around and looked at me. He said, oh, bless God. He said, oh, God can still use an old horse like me. <laughs> and so Ken gave him a picture of that horse. <laughs> Thirdly, the guide provides all that is needed to make the journey a joy. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, I want to take you to the New Testament. We're not going to turn there, but I just want to give you three resurrections in the Gospels and talk to you about how this makes joy in the journey and why we need to delight in the Lord, okay? Here are the three. Jairus' daughter, the young girl, was resurrected. The young boy in Luke chapter 7 and Lazarus. Jairus' daughter, she's just asleep. The young boy, Lazarus, he's been dead four days. Now let me ask you something. Out of Jairus' daughter, the young boy, and Lazarus, which of them was the most dead? They were all dead dead, weren't they? I mean, they're not various degrees of dead. I mean, you're either alive or you're dead. Well, guess what? The Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sin. Are we kind of dead? Are we almost dead in trespasses and sin? Or are we dead in trespasses and sin? The Bible says that the law of sin and death can rule and reign. So here are three people who are dead, and the only difference among lost people is the state of their decay. It's not whether or not they are dead or not. It's just how decayed they are. The only difference is the state of their decay. And so they're resurrected, and when a lost person is dead, a saved person who has passed from death unto life, they tell that person, you can be alive. And what happens when a person comes alive? Let's look at these three. The young girl was alive, and Jesus said, give her something to eat. Now, these are important. You're going to see how I'm going to tie these together. The girl is dead. She's alive. What did she need? Food. Jesus said, give her something to eat. The young man was alive, and he began to talk. He was dead. He couldn't talk. Now he begins to talk. Lazarus was alive, and he was loosed, and he began to walk. So how do I know I'm saved? It all comes out of these three right here. First of all, I have an appetite for the Word of God. I have an appetite for the Word of God. If I don't have an appetite for the Word of God, I'm, I may be dead in my trespasses and sin. 
I may not have a living relationship because I don't have an appetite. There's an appetite for the Word of God. Secondly, you bear witness for Christ. So what did the young girl do? She had an appetite. When we've been raised to new life in Christ, we have an appetite for the Word of God. Then the young boy began to talk. When we've been raised to new life in Christ, we have a witness for Christ. He began to talk. That's what we have to do. Not just silent witness, but a verbal witness for Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, you'll be different and people will notice. That's Lazarus. Uh, Lord, you don't want to take him out of that grave. You know, he's been dead four days. He, he, he stinks. The Jews believe that somehow the spirit hovered over a man for, or a body for three days before it went to the place of the dead. And so if there was still a chance it could come back to life after three days. I find it interesting to see how the world explains all of this. You know, uh, Senator Kennedy will pass by for the final time by the Senate building. Senator Kennedy didn't pass by there. The body that housed him did. But who we are is not this. Who we are is what's on the inside of us. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, we either go to heaven or we go to hell. We, we don't hover. <laughs> I mean, we're not, you know, we're not in the casket. Oh, doesn't he look natural? No, he's dead. I mean, when's the last time you saw anybody out in the, in the foyer and they said, they're dead. They look so natural. No, they're dead. And mankind is dead until Christ resurrects him by the power of the gospel. And then he has an appetite, then he talks, and then he walks with God. That's how we stay on the path and have a path that's filled with joy. You notice the difference. He shed his grave clothes. So now, as we wrap this up, I want you to turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. There are 22 sections in Psalm 119. They're all aligned with the Hebrew alphabet made so that the Hebrew children could memorize Psalm 119. There are eight different names for the law or the scriptures or the word in Psalm 119. And the psalmist talks about how much he loved the word of God. And so I want to give you four things that indicated how much the psalmist loved the Word of God. The first one is found in verse 103. The psalmist said, I would rather have the Word of God than honey or food. I would rather have the Word of God than honey or food. In other words, feasting at the Lord's table was more important to the psalmist than feasting at some other table. You know... You give God's people a buffet line and they'll run over their best friend. Paul did not say, I buffet my body. He said, I buffet my body. You know, Baptists just think it's, well, you know, in the, in, in the Greek, it's buffet. <laughs> the psalmist said, I'd rather have the word of God than food. I used to tell young people when, when I was doing youth ministry, they say, how do I have a quiet time? I got to get up. I got to go to school. I got to do this. I said, no Bible, no breakfast. And then one of them said, well, we don't eat breakfast. I said, then no Bible, no lunch. You don't eat until you read your Bible. 
Well, I, I don't eat until you read your Bible. I guarantee you, it'll motivate you to read your Bible. If you don't eat until you read your Bible, it will motivate you to get your Bible open and to read it. You see, but we're more concerned about filling our face than we are about filling our hearts. He'd rather have the Word of God than food. Peter compared the Word to milk. Paul compared the Word to meat. It's called bread. It's just honey. I mean, there are just so many words that talk about how we feast before the Lord. And can I tell you, none of us in this church will ever be able to stand before God, not with the Sunday school teachers that we have, not with the children's ministry that we have and the youth ministry we have and the preaching that is done and the guest preachers that we bring in. Not one member of this church will ever be able to stand before God and say, I was malnourished. That's right. Amen. Now, there are a lot of churches where you might have to say that, but you're never going to say that in this church. Amen. The question is, do we have an appetite for it? You know, do we have an appetite? Do we have a hunger? Do we want to learn more? Do we want to dig more? Do we want to devour more? Do we want to get our, our, our appetite whetted so that we chew into deeper and deeper things in our walk with God? By the way, here's just a little uh, side note. Uh, if you want to know, when Peter said, you know, desire the milk of the word, can I tell you what the milk of the word is? Now, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to think about this for a while. The milk of the word is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What Jesus did on earth. The meat of the word is Galatians and Romans and Hebrews. What Jesus is doing in heaven right now. So... I can learn what Jesus did on earth, and that is important. But I need to understand, if I've got an appetite for the Word of God, I want to know what He's doing right now and how it works in my life now, today. And primarily, Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews are the three that stand out to me as the ones that are the most significant in the meat of the Word. So you got the milk of the Word, and you got the meat of the Word. Secondly, verse 55, he said, I'd rather have the Word of God than sleep. That's also found in verse 147 and 148. The Jews had uh, three night watches. They got up five times a night to meditate on the Word. I'd rather have the Word of God than sleep. And sometimes we'd rather have late night television than sleep. Or we'd rather have company than sleep. But not often would we rather have the Word of God than sleep. How many times when you wake up in the night is your first thought, maybe the Lord woke me up because he wants to tell me something? You know, I know that the disciples were Baptists because Jesus had a Bible conference on the Mount of Transfiguration. He invited Elijah and Moses to come share the time with him, and the disciples didn't get it. And then when he invited them to go deep with him into the Garden of Gethsemane, they fell asleep. See, there has to be a hunger and an appetite. You see, we're going to make a choice in the next few weeks about refresh. And I know people, oh, here he goes. He's going to camp on refresh. But I want to tell you, 
There are people that would never miss a ball game and never miss a ballet practice, and none of that's going to go to heaven. But they'll find every reason in the world to stay away. You watch it. If anybody is not hungering for God, they will make up any excuse and every excuse not to be here for refresh because they don't want to be confronted with the Word because they have no appetite for what God wants to say to them. You know, God will not waste His words. He will not cast His pearls before swine. And if somebody doesn't want the Word and makes any little excuse not to get the Word, they miss a blessing. And I can't make people come I can just say that you can never get, by listening to it on tape, what you can get when you sit in a room with other people listening to it. And one of the reasons why I don't preach it refresh here is because I need to sit and be convicted by the Holy Spirit on what God has laid on the hearts of the men who come here. That's why I don't preach, hardly ever preach at the one here. Because I need to hear for myself what God has to say to me. So he'd rather have the word of God than sleep. Verse 14, rather have the word of God than money. That's also found in verse 72 and verse 127 and verse 162. He'd rather have the word of God than money. And then finally, he'd rather have the word of God than friends in high places. Verse 23. Verse 51, verse 95, and verse 15. Rather have the word of God than sleep, than money, than friends and food in his law does he meditate day and night let's pray together would you ask the Lord right now to give you a greater appetite for the word of God you may have a very healthy appetite for the word of God or you may still be doing the same thing you were doing 10 years ago. You know, you read one chapter a day or whatever, and, and, and maybe it's time for you to read a little more. Maybe it's time for you to read a little slower and not just worry about how much you're reading, but what are you getting out of what you're reading? But would you just ask God right now, Lord, you've given me a guidebook. You've given me the book that tells me how to live, how to walk, how to act, how to decide, how to make choices how to set my values, my principles, my boundaries, how to live in freedom, how to live without guilt, without fear, how to live with hope, how to live in power. You, you've given me that, and I have it in my hands. I hold it in my hands. Lord, give me an appetite for your word. Help me to long for it, to desire it. In just a moment, we're going to have some folks that we're going to present, new people in the family. 
and I'm going to ask you if you're being presented tonight, if you'll just slip out over to the side, to my left and your right with John. But here's what I want to ask you to do in the congregation. I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 119 while they're doing that. I want to ask you to turn to 119th Psalm. This is what I want to ask you to do for the invitation tonight. Just you alone at your seat while these folks are coming to get ready to be presented. I just want to ask you, would you read the first 11 verses of Psalm 119 as a prayer? Not just say, oh, this is what Psalm 119 says. Would you read it as a prayer? Would you pray it to God that you would have that kind of delight in the Word of God, in the statutes of God, in the commandments of God. Would you just read it as a prayer back to the Lord right now and ask God to give you the attitude and the appetite for the Word that the psalmist had when he wrote those verses. So if you just do that right now. Father, in these verses, you say that those who love your word do not compromise with evil. They walk only in your paths. And so, Father, give us the desire, the appetite, the longing, the passion, the discipline, the heart, the mind, the will to want to walk in your path. Not only the path of holiness, but it is the path of happiness. Not a happiness based on what happens, but a happiness based on the fact that we are walking in step with you when we walk according to your ways. Give us a greater hunger, a greater appetite in our mind, in our hearts, and in our wills to be yours and to live for you and to long for your word like we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. John. All right, church family, this is the Harper family, Matthew and Kimberly with Jackson and Jordan. And uh, they were baptized this morning in a New Beginnings class. And uh, Matthew is looking at Sports and Rec and Security and Kimberly at Week Here in the Alpha Center. We're excited that you're here. Boy, it was great to see you walk through those waters of baptism this morning. And, 
and uh, allow us to be a part of your guys' lives and uh, to help you to train them and raise them and teach them the Word of God and, uh, and for you to be an example to them and let us partner with you in that and uh, showing them the way that they should walk. And I'm grateful that you're here and grateful you're part of this church family. God bless you. God bless you. And in the Holt family, John and Dina with Jessica. They're in the Connections class, and John wants to serve in the choir. Um, and then Dina in the Alpha Ministries, and Jessica's already serving in Kids Rocking with Missions. Uh, she's coming by baptism, and they're coming from Falcon, Colorado, uh, from Midpoint uh, Church out there. That's a long way away. Colorado's... It's not as humid in Colorado as it is here. Not quite as humid. There's no humidity. That's exactly right. And uh, I'm glad you're here. It's a long way to be away, but I'm glad that you're here and glad that you've gotten in and plugged in and trying to figure out what it is that, that God wants to do and how he wants to use you here. And uh, praying that he will just help you to find his place and that you can serve him and be used greatly. And every day as you get involved in the life of the church, that you sense, boy, God's got me here for a reason. And he's got me here for a purpose. And I'm seeing it everywhere I turn, that God has designed this for this moment in my life. So I pray that'll be true for you. God bless you. God bless you. And then coming by statement, uh, Victor and Kim Varnado in the Seekers class. And uh, Kim is uh, wanting to serve in the Alpha Ministries area and in uh, uh, Victor in Sunday School. We're delighted that you're here. Got some Sunday school folks standing behind you. So I see you found a class, and so that's good. But uh, I'm delighted to be your pastor. Thank you for being a part of this church, and I, I pray it's going to be a blessing to you. You're going to build some great relationships with these folks in Sunday school, and hopefully you'll build great relationships within the church family, and this will be a, just a fantastic place for you to invest your lives. God bless you. We're Thank glad you all are here. If you rejoice in these that have come, would you say, welcome to the family? Welcome to the family. All right, we're going to go out and greet them in just a moment. John's going to lead them out. John, about time for you to get a haircut. <laughs> go ahead. Amen. It's been a good day. Amen. Amen. God's been good to us. If you did not get one of the prayer guides this morning, make sure you get one. We'll start them tomorrow. They'll go through the 24th of September. And uh, I tell you, there's some great material in there. There's some of the great passages on revival. And it starts these first few days with 2 Chronicles 7:14. just walking through that. One of the reasons why God used Refresh last year so much is because we had the downpour series that we were doing leading up to it. So God was stirring and preparing our hearts before Refresh ever started. And then we came out of it and we were in the downpour series for the next few weeks after that. We're trying to do that and just continue to learn more about how we get our hearts ready for revival. So we're doing the 24 days of prayer. We're also doing the new John MacArthur book on uh, Tale of Two Sons. Uh, on the prodigal son and it deals the first two chapters and it deal with repentance and forgiveness and about why we need to be right before God and right with one another and why we need to offer forgiveness and and that we don't have the elder brother syndrome or we don't have the prodigal syndrome that we understand what God's trying to do in our lives so as you begin to pray in these weeks leading up to refresh let's ask God to do something not to try to repeat last year not to try to orchestrate anything, 
but that we are so open that God just kind of moves in and settles on us that we don't even have to wait until Refresh gets here and give God a timetable. We can say, Lord, if you want to do it starting tomorrow, we'd be glad for you to do it. And uh, we'll let the speakers come and catch up <laughs> with wherever we are, and that, that'll be fine. Go out and shake hands with our new members. Thanks for being here tonight. We'll see you Wednesday.